This is part six and the final episode of a story called The Air. We are in Colombia. Ulrich Otto Schneider, the German billionaire, aged 73, attended the 80th birthday of a British man called Maximilian II in the coastal town of Cartagena in Colombia. The two wealthy men came from old money and famous families and fabulous fortunes. Wilrich had brought a young woman with him. She was Karli Richter and she was aged 37. They entered the ballroom and they were announced at the door as Herr Schneider of Kleber Industries and Companion. Simply because Karli was a nobody worth mentioning person in the world of the rich and famous. What nobody in the elite circle of snobs knew was that Karli now owned Kleber Industries. No, she did not buy the company, and no, she was not Wilrich's daughter. Wilrich gave her all his money. No, Wilrich was not terminally ill, he was not demented, he was not, not blackmailed, and he was not in love. Wilrich made Karli his heir because she told stories that made him sleep. For 53 years he suffered from insomnia, and then he listened to Karli's stories and fell asleep. Wilrich stopped sleeping when his mother committed suicide. His father had done the unthinkable. He'd announced during a TV interview that he married Wilrich's mother only for her money, because she was richer than he was, and that he never, ever loved her. Wilrich's father giggled when he said that he had a girlfriend, a beautiful blonde flight attendant, and he blushed and then he introduced an 18-year-old girl, younger than Wilrich. Wilrich's mother killed herself that night, and he found the body, and he sat with her for hours. After that, he sat in darkness every single night, and sleep never came visiting. That is, until Carly, 53 years later. Wilrich found her podcasts by accident. They were called Bedtime Stories for Adults, and the first night he listened to a story, he fell asleep within three minutes and slept for eight hours. And for the past two years, he slept. Wilrich hired private investigators to find out everything about Karli Richter, and then he lured her to Panama for a podcasting conference, where he told her that he had made her his heir. She would inherit everything. Yes, almost everything. Wilrich gave the family home on the Rhine River to his brother, and he kept the private island off the coast of Panama to himself. And of course a few private jets, a helicopter, a few cars, and more than enough in cash. Everything else now belonged to Carly. She had signed the legal documents in Panama four days before, and they were now at this glamorous birthday bash of Maximilian II. Carly struggled during this evening. She knew nothing about being rich and famous. Walking into the ballroom with Wilrich was simply one of the most unreal moments of her entire life. Exactly eight hours before this moment, she had been just a normal tourist in Cartagena, a poor tourist who stayed in a room in an Airbnb. She'd been in a poor neighborhood outside the city with her taxi driver Carlos. 
Carly and Wilrich were having a fantastic adventure with Carlos, who decided to show them his own little neighborhood away from the tourist part of Cartagena. Carlos had an old and dirty yellow taxi. One door couldn't open. The car had been in a tiny crash. He put Wilrich and Carly in the back seat and announced that he was kidnapping them. And he showed them his life, his neighborhood. That morning was definitely the best one of Wilrich's life because he just was a normal tourist. He had traveled to Colombia as Otto Meyer. This was his first free day ever. His family, the same as Maximilian II's family, always traveled with strict security. But this time not. He had come with Carly to have three days of normal people holiday, mingling with normal Colombians, and Wilrich had already decided to keep on going traveling this way. After this, he would go to Medellin in Colombia, and then they would fly off to Guatemala. But that morning, Wilrich's housekeeper, Lucia, recognized him, and the fairy tale ended right there. Here they were now, dressed up, and back with a rich and famous crowd. Wilrich thought of the people around him as dreary, boring, tedious, fake, exhausting, and dull. Carly stood looking at the same people, and she found them terrifying. She could hardly breathe. She stared at the clothes and the jewelry and the hairdos and the shoes and the food on silver platters. She simply stood still and watched. It's like a story, she whispered to Wolrich. Yeah, Wolrich sighed. But not nearly as good a story as our drive with Carlos this morning. That was much better than this. Yes, Carly said, but but that was real and normal. In your world's yes, yeah, but in mine it was the story. So for me, all of this, and he let his arm swing 360 degree, degrees around the grand silver ballroom, this is my normal, my real. Oh, Carly said. So you you were nervous this morning with Carlos? Ja, kind, petrified at the first. Carly was stunned. What changed? Ah, ja, I told myself that this was just another one of your bedtime stories, and I walked right into this. After that, easy, wunderbar, wonderful adventure, the best day. Yes, but, but, but... But that was an easy world. It was simple. It was just normal and, and easy. Ja, kind, for you. You're normal, not mine. So if I make, make the suggestion, do the same this evening. Make it a story. I'll help. We'll make you rich, because you are now fabulously rich. Yes, Carly said, but we've talked about that. We're not going to tell anybody. I still want to be just that... That, that, that invisible air. Yeah, and you will be. But for this night, you will be the South African with old money. You have the gold mine. Oh, no, Carly said, so we're going to lie to them? Wilrich laughed. Aha, nine. You do actually now own the gold mine in South Africa. I do? Yeah, Kent. But Wilrich suggested that they tell everybody that she was a storyteller. And that made all the difference. 
tells him the story. Tells him the story about Carlos. Vorich whispered in her ear. Look me in the eyes and tell the story of this morning from Carlos. When I was not in the car, you did story gathering. Tell them the story. So Carly did what Carly did best, and she said, Once upon a not so long ago, a woman who traveled to Cartagena got kidnapped by a taxi driver called Carlos. Carly told a fascinating story about a orange bucket with tropical flowers in it, a caged bird at the front seat, a whole bag of ripe avocados, a pile of sun hats, children that somebody picked up at the beach and piled into the car and sticky pink ice cream. She told the exact story of truth that happened to her in Vulrich that morning. Only, she left out the fact that Vulrich had been in the car. And halfway through the story, or not even halfway through, she suddenly stopped and she said, you can actually listen to the podcast. No, 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 tell, tell the rest of the story. No, Carly said, it's very, very unfriendly to, to have a monologue at a party like this. You can listen to the podcast. No, please, Maximilian II's granddaughter said. These parties are all the same. So boring. It's only chatter about new fashion or the stock market or problems with servants or talk about good headdresses or where to buy new jewellery. By the way, one of the other women said and she interrupted. Your jewellery and dress, Carly. Divine. Tell us where. And just like that, they cut off Carly's story and the chatter did change to normal Rich are different party talks. Vulrich smiled and he held Carly's arm. The dress, he quickly said. Blame or compliment, Vivienne. Ah, one of the women said and she threw up her hands. Oh, Vivienne, of course. You look gorgeous, Carly. Not many people can carry a Vivienne. Carly smiled and shrugged. And really her smile was the sweetest of smiles, an innocent one. She had to bite her tongue not to blurt out the entire Vienne and Lenique meeting and her being petrified of attending Maximilian II's party. She just smiled. The woman arrived at two o'clock at Vorich's house. This was Carly's first rich and famous moment. She hated every minute. They met in the ocean room. This was where Vilrich conducted meetings about buying beautiful things and also where he had evening drinks after successful business meetings. The ocean room in Vilrich's house had an infinity swimming pool facing the ocean. If you sat in a chair, this, this pool simply became the ocean and the view. Ah, oh, an endless body of water which filled the room with silent and peace and tranquility and light during the day. At night, they used only candles in the room, and some of these drifted on the pool. Waiters, all dressed in white, served drinks and appetizers. Vivine and Lenique waited here for Carly and Ulrich. They were fashion designers, world famous, of course. 
Six outfits hung from hooks on the wall. They were all evening gowns. Twelve pairs of shoes were displayed on glassed spiral tables, which started on the ground and swirled upwards towards the roof. Carly stood frozen and she wanted to run. The women were terrifying. They were fashion magazine models. They stood tall and had fake smiles that clung to their faces to match the too much makeup and Botox and exotic hairdos. Carly felt tiny and very, very plain and, yes, very, very poor and out of place. And to tell the honest truth, she was. Volrich saw her panic and he said, Please, leave us for the hour? He said this in the kindest of voices, but his sentence was a command and a final statement which did not invite discussion. The woman left immediately, as did the doorman and the waiter without being told. Carly did not move even after they left. She stared at the endless waterscape. Vorich waited for a while and then he stuttered. Ach, Kent, ah, uh, the party. Is, is there anything? Carly stopped him. It's all right, she said. I understand that I have to wear something this evening. Yeah, it's to me light, I'm sorry. Don't be, she said. It's your world and I do not know what to wear. In my world, three days ago, I, I, I bought you a silly I love Cartagena t-shirt that so that you would fit in, right? Vorich laughed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. At first, I really liked that bright yellow. <laughs> yes, I liked that t-shirt, the bright yellow one with I love Cartagena. I grew rather fond of that. It made me blend in like the tourist. Yes, Carly said and she smiled and oh, you blended so well. So I have to blend tonight and I have to hide behind this designer dress like you did behind that t-shirt. So would you help me, please? Yeah, Kent, yeah. There is a dressing room and he showed her behind a blue door. Try them on, he said, and he asked her to pick one that she liked with shoes. Carly picked three of the dresses and two pairs of shoes and she had a small mini fashion parade for Vorich. She acted superbly. I'll just walk into a story, she said. I'll make this a story. And then she walked around like models, made a turn by the pool's edge and lingered there and showed, showed Volrich all the dresses. She picked a dress in the end that was the color of the ocean and her eyes. It was off the shoulder and it fitted tightly at the top and at the waist and at the bottom it made and moved like the ocean. It looked as if a few ocean waves continuously tried to flow to the ground. The fabric was thin and light and layers of various blues, greens and turquoises blended. It was simply an ocean gracefully flowing when Carly walked. After they picked the dress, Vivine and Lenique returned. Carly refused fancy hair and makeup. She refused a facial, a massage, a manicure and a pedicure. Both the women left with their ever-smiling, no-emotions faces. Immediately after they left, Vorich turned 
and he opened a safe hidden in the blue door of the dressing room. He took out three boxes. Before opening, he warned her. Ah, uh, Kent, you will be the overwhelmed by the jewellery. This belonged to my Namuti, my mother. Your mother, Kali said slowly and softly. She stared at the boxes and she did not move. Ya, yeah, Kent. She left the jewellery to me. Uri said that his mother gave his brother a yacht. She inherited the jewellery from her mother, and she knew that Vulrich's brother would sell every piece, and um, she hoped that Vulrich's daughters... Ach, Vulrich said, she was so sure that I would marry. You never did, did you? Carly said. Nein. My mother took the life because of a marriage without a love, where... The reason for union is the money. Then I met the girl. We were both thirty-four. Ilka. She came from the good family in Berlin, not part of my of my circles. He blushed a little. We were deeply in love, engaged. But... But, Carly said when he abruptly stopped speaking, Vorich told her that Ilka simply could not stand the media. They fell on her and her family like acid rain. They blew up the tiniest of family scandals of drug abuse of a cousin, jail time of a friend, and they spoke of her past boyfriends and best friends, and, and Ilka drowned in the media attention. She would never leave her house. The media painted her as a piece of trash with, with scoundrels for family, and Ilka left Vulrich. She married a high school boyfriend two months later, and she escaped from the life of Kleber Industries. Carly came close and she said, I'm so sorry. Is Ilka alive? Is she still in Germany? Vulrich said yes. He was very emotional. He said Ilka had four children and six grandchildren. He said that she was very happy and that he was sure that she made the right choice. Love was not enough, not in his world. Money must always marry money, Ulrich thought. Carly looked at him and she said, So did you try that, to marry money? Ja, Kent. Four times. Women from my fortune families. All the beautiful women great education, and they walk, walk the walk, and they talk the talk, and they already knew who was who, and that was something very critically important in this money of a world of money. So why didn't you marry any of them? Kali said. Ach, nein! No love and boredom. Tell me, what did this meeting with Vivienne and Lenique feel? Oh, superficial, Kali said, exhausting. I would have screamed if one of them said one more time that everything was divine, the shoes were divine, and the dress was divine, and oh, the fabulous designer, and, and she went on and on and on. Oh, she said no. Vorich laughed, but not because it was funny. He said that, well, after four girls of four, fortune and Glitz and glamour and already planning weddings for a thousand people, which would include royalty from everywhere, he realized that he needed more. 
You needed more? Carly said of what? Yeah, more privacy, more of nature, more of quiet evenings in a place called home, more alone time, Ulrich said. And therefore he walked away from marriage. He loved his brother's children and he said that he made a wonderful uncle. And his brother's grandchildren, they called Ulrich Opa. Ulrich tapped on the jewellery. I always thought that I would give these to them. Carly said, oh, but you should. They are, they are family heirlooms. They should stay in the Schneider family. Ulrich said no. He said that the younger generation sold and bought the latest of modern jewellery, and they never worried about the clarity of diamonds and the exquisite design of days gone by. He opened a box and he picked up a necklace. Diamonds with blue. What was blue? Carly wondered. Sapphires, she said, as he hung the necklace around her neck. Yeah, Ulrich said, and he led her to a mirror. Ah, wow. No, I can't, she said. Better, he said, please, just for this night. Please wear this. Nobody has worn it again. I, Carly stuttered, I, I... This piece has been in this box for 53 years. My mother wore this on the night my father said in public that he never loved her. My Ilka? My love Ilka, she refused to wear it. She said that this was bad luck jewelry. It is not. My mother loved this. My father gave it to her on her 16th birthday. Please, better. Okay, yes, I'll wear it, Carly said. But I'm afraid I'll lose it. Nine, don't be, it's insured, Vorich said. Well, Carly said, it's probably worth more than my house in Vancouver. Well, maybe the entire street. More than this house, actually, Vorich said, and he gave a little laugh. Wow, she said, and she smiled. What a marvelous idea, that twenty stones could be worth so much. Ha <laughs> ha, Vorich laughed. Stones, ach ja, Kent. Child, You are a youth tonic. You call these stones of color stones. And you call my property things. The things. Wunderbar. Let's call them that then. Put on the stones. Carly said, have I offended you? I didn't mean to insult you. Your mother's jewelry. And your mansions. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Nine, nine, nine. Not insult. You just put life in a different story. I love that. Your honesty. Oh, oh, Carly said. Now you pick a stone to wear as a ring and the same stone for the bracelet and the earrings. Carly said, I have to wear all of that tonight? Ach ja, Kind, let's blow them away at Maximilian II's party. This, this dress, the shoes and the stones will get all the attention and then you can be a little bit invisible like I was in my yellow t-shirt, and then Vorich laughed and thought it hilarious that diamonds and sapphires and dresses could be compared to a yellow t-shirt. So that did it. Carly knew that she could hide behind the diamonds and the gold in the dress. Yeah, but just a bit, Vorich said. He said, brace yourself for the onslaught of fortune. But I'm really afraid, Carly said, terrified. I'll feel like an imposter. They'll know that I'm a fake. They'll know that I'm not rich. 
Ach, Mädchen, you keep forgetting that you are rich. Richer by far than anybody there. Yes, but, but I can't act rich. I stand out. I don't walk the walk and I don't talk the talk. And I don't know who is who. True, Vorich said. Let's try this. Do you know how I survived the three days with you as a tourist in the Airbnb in a world so alien to me that I felt like I landed from a different planet? I, I watched a you. I play follow the leader. I observed. And I said as little as possible. Well, I did what everybody else did. Yes, Carly said, but, but they did not watch you. Kent, yeah, yes, they did. All the humans, they do that. We analyze our company to see if they are the friends or the enemy. It's primal instinct. Oh, Carly said, my primal instinct says to run back to the Airbnb. And, uh, Kent, you can go, of course, if that is what you want, Volrich said. I can't, Carly said. We made a scene at the fort. Poor Carlos. The entire town know, now knows that, that, that you are here. I can't go back. Yes, they do, Volrich said. Yes, Carlos phoned me to... To... Carly laughed. Carlos phoned me to get photos of the inside of your house, but of course I can never do that. Why not? Vorich said. Carly sighed. Well, this, and she waved her hand over the room, this will make Carlos desperately unhappy. He will start comparing. He will want to move. His own little pink house and his uncle's little street, that will change. He will see poverty and he'll forget about the happiness. Huh, Vorich said. I never thought about that, and then I've never been on that side until today. Well, this evening I'm on your side, and I worry about tonight, Carly said, and she shook her hand, head. I don't think I should go. I know. I know that, Kent. I will not leave you, not for the one minute. And he didn't. And he was absolutely right. He said that Carly would enjoy it if she started story gathering. And she did for a while. But after everybody started talking about fashion and money and stocks and, and things again, she said, How soon can we leave? I'm exhausted. This was after two long hours. Kent, now. Vodich said. And this is how we do it. He walked to Maximilian II and he said, Excuse us, please, Max. Lovely the party. So glad we made it. But I am meeting Hans tomorrow morning at the eight o'clock. Oh, thank you for attending, Vodich, Maximilian II said. An early meeting with Hans? Of course you must go. The young lady is welcome to stay longer. I'll take her under my wing for you. Nine, Volvich said. The meeting with Hans involves her, Max. Maximilian II's eyes grew wider and he frowned. Volrich firmly took Carly by the arm and he led her out of the front door. It was exactly nine o'clock. A black car waited outside. 
As it pulled away, Vorich said, I did not tell you this, but we are leaving Cartagena right now. We are going to Medellin. Now, Carly said, Yeah, we have to go. Why? Cartagena is much too small. There will be already a pile of invitations for events tomorrow. I don't have the energy, and many of these events will be for only you. So that the women can question you, we can't have that. No, no, no. But what about my things I have to pack? Rorich told her that everything had been done. He asked her to forgive him for invading her privacy, and he said that he already had an apartment in Medellin. They would fly there immediately. And off they went. They flew to Medellin in Rorich's private jet, and by 11 a.m. they went to bed in a beautiful penthouse in the rich area of the city of Medellin in Colombia. The next morning, they moved out of the penthouse into another Airbnb. And of course, they got Vulrich another yellow t-shirt, and this one said, I love Medellin, District 13. Another Carlos drove them around, and his name was Juan. And he was an older brother of somebody who worked with Carly. Vulrich's name changed to Otto again, and um, of course he became Carly's father again. In Panama, Eustacio had organized an entire new security team, because Medellin was the drug capital of the world, and one had to be and tread carefully. Vodich and Carly took a cable car high into the mountains, and then they took a local bus to the flower farms. And yes, they'd gone to a supermarket again. And yes, Carly had made them thick sandwiches again. And yes, she carried a backpack with cut fruit and nuts and bottled water. That afternoon, Juan took them to District 13, the infamous District 13. This was where drug lord Pablo Escobar ruled for a while. It was a fascinating place with vivid graffiti and thin little staircases. The next day, they took a taxi all the way to a little town called Guatape on a horrendously bad road. They had to stop about ten times for Juan to fix a tire or to get gas or just for them to take a little bit of a break. At Guatape, there is a man-made lake. They took a little boat and they drove on it. It was a gorgeous day. Then Carly climbed 740 steps up a granite rock. This rock is called the Rock or Alpignon. It took her a whole hour to get to the top. Vulrich paid to go in a helicopter. At the top they had the most magnificent view of this man-made lake. And then again disaster struck, of course. A neighbor of Vulrich who lived in the penthouse right across from him by the name of Adrian, met them, saw them, and then everything reversed again. They took Adrian's helicopter back to Medellin, and then they attended yet another elaborate event for the rich and famous. It was a new crowd, and everything else was the same. Carly, she wore the same dress and the same shoes, and she said the same words, and they left early again because Wolrich, oh, he had that meeting with Hans again, 
and everybody understood. Everybody at the party said divine again for everything, and this time, Carly took it a little better, and she actually gave a little giggle. At exactly nine o'clock, they drove to the airport again. <sighs> Carly said as they got into the car, Is this how you live? Wow, do you keep on running away from these people? Velik <laughs> said, Yeah, Kent, that's why I gave you my money. <laughs> And both of them started laughing because suddenly Carly understood. She said, I can't keep this up. This is too much. Where are we going now? Where were you going after Medellin? I was going to Bogota, Carly said. Um, do you have, have a house there as well? <laughs> and of course, Vorik said, Nein, I don't have the house there, but you do. And this time it's not a house, it's a farm. We'll go rest for a little bit. And that's exactly what they did. They went to Vilrich or Karli's farm, a few kilometers outside of Bogota, and they rested for a few days. Of course, they had the security team with them, but these men stayed invisible. Vilrich did not even notice them because they changed the color of their hats and they just disappeared into the crowd. This wonderful house of Vilrich had a swimming pool, heated, no internet, no cell phone signal, and they just rested for a few days. On day three of resting, Carly took a very long walk, and then she came back and she sat next to Vilrich under a big, big tree. You really gave me everything you own because you became sick of this, right? Yeah, Vilrich said, and he sighed a long sigh. <sighs> Is there too many years of this? Well, Carly said, I've done it for a week and I'm sick of it. I, I don't think I can do this, you know. I think you've made a, a, a very grave mistake in picking me. Nein, Verlich said. Well, that's what you think, but I've attended two glamorous parties and I just can't do it. I don't want to do it ever again. Zen, Verlich said, you don't have to. I cheated, you see. I desperately wanted to travel like you. I craved the simple life. And I had that. The three wonderful days in Cartagena, and then two busy days in the Medellin. And those places I did not even know they existed. But now, and he stopped. But, Carly said, Vilrich said that it was unfair to her. She, she, he used her to have those wonderful holidays, and um, it was the best days that he could ever imagine, but it was unfair to her, and um, things would be different in Bogota. She could travel on her own, and he would just stay here. Vilrich suggested that they stayed on his farm for a week. In this week, he would slowly teach and explain to her some of the inside business of everything that she was walking into. He asked her to be patient for a day or so so that he could make her understand where the properties were and what everything entailed. And then after that, he would leave her. He would return to Panama and she could continue her adventure in South America. Vorich felt that she deserved the two months of holiday and he would wait for her in Panama to explain more business deals when she got back. Every time she wanted to speak, he gently held up his hand to continue. 
And he said that he really needed her to go story gathering in all these different places that she wanted to see in Peru and Ecuador and Guatemala. Without the story gathering, she could not make stories, and Volrich really needed those stories. So he was very sure, yes, he would return to Panama, and she would continue with her touring. Why, why do you want me to go? Are you tired of me? Carly said. Nein, it's not that. I'm spoiling, spoiling your fun. No, it's not that. It's not spoiling my fun. But you said that you cannot have one more rich party. Yes, Carly said, but you have to listen to me too. On most days, when I travel like I do on my own, I can't stand having to be careful all the time. I can't stand having to find clean drinking water, being stuck in traffic jams from the airport. I thought you loved that, Wilrich said. I do, but, but I can't really go back to all of that now. I love normal everyday traveling, but your men keeps us safe. It's wonderful for me because I have more time to do things, to explore, and I love traveling with you. I've actually gotten used to the idea of three days in an Airbnb and adventures, and then just two days of luxury and resting. I can do that with you. I can continue with that. Kent, Volrich said. You are sure of this? Of course I am, Carly said. So in Ecuador and in Peru, and maybe Costa Rica, do you have places there too? Nine. Oh, Carly said. Nothing? Nine, keine, not. Oh, Carly said. Um, Volrich laughed. Again, you have the places there. I do? Yeah. Lovely rose farm in Ecuador. And, oh, the big ranch in the Urubamba Valley in, in Peru, near Machu Picchu. You seen Machu Picchu? No, I haven't. You love the ranch. Oh, and the Urubamba Valley? You eat the guinea pig, yes? So, that was that then. Wilrich educated Carly about being fabulously wealthy. They traveled the world for the next two months. A time in private jets and helicopters and limousines, and living in splendid luxury with cooks and cleaners and staff, and they went to rich parties. Carly became a pro at attending these, and no, she never liked staying along for two hours at most, and then they went off to meet Hans. At times, they flew with a commercial aircraft in economy class, and they dragged their own suitcases to a local bus or yet another taxi driver. There was always a friend called Carlos or Angel or Luis or Juan. And yes, they bought tourist t-shirts, and they attended birthday and barbecue parties of the locals of the land, where Wilrich always became Carly's father. Oh, and he loved being called Carly's father. Slowly but surely, Carly began to understand Volrich's fortune and how to manage it. And Volrich, for the first time since his mother died, had a real family in the form of the storyteller who became the daughter he never had. And he, of course, became the father she never had. Volrich lived to the good age of 96. He died after a very short illness with Carly by his side, and this was on his private island in Panama.
Carly sat by his bed and she told him stories. So many beautiful stories of their time together. All of these stories included a man called Carlos, because he had made their first adventure. Carlos always came in some shape or form, either as the taxi driver, the guitar player, or the doorman at a bank. In some of the stories, a woman called Ilka suddenly became the heir to a fortune. Carly started using Ilka, the love of Vilrich's life, more and more in the stories as his days on earth became shorter. Vilrich loved stories with Ilka in them. Vilrich Otto Schneider fell asleep one night in March while the storyteller told him his favorite story about Ilka being kidnapped in Cartagena and Colombia. Carly slowly told about the drive in Carlos's rumbling taxi. In the car he had captured a man called Fulrich and the woman he loved all his life, Ilka. Carlos, the rascal, put a songbird in a cage on the front seat and a bucket full of flowers and a pile of hats and ripe avocados and dripping wet children into the car. They had pink ice cream and they were covered in grey sand. Ilka giggled, and Vilrich gave her a kiss on the cheek. Ilka kept the tropical flowers, and Ilka kept the songbird. Ilka shared her sticky pink ice cream with Vilrich. Vilrich and Ilka each had a bouncing child on their lap, and over that ice cream, that sticky pink ice cream, Vilrich told Ilka that he loved her all his life. On the night he died, Carly told Volrich Otto Schneider this story three times. Not only because he loved, but because on that day in Cartagena, in Carlos's taxi, Volrich became, really became the father she never had. Volrich became the father she loved. So this story was never really about the fortune for either of them. This was the story of a man without a wife or children. It was a story of a young man whose mother committed suicide. It was a story of a woman who lost a husband and an only baby child. It was their story of becoming father and daughter. And all of the rest? Just bells and whistles, really. Just scenery for a very simple story about two people who found one another, Volrich Otto Schneider and Karli Richter, a very simple story with a beginning, a middle and an end. And the twist at the end? Oh, of course the twist is the billions of dollars. It gave their story just a little bit of colour.